and welcome to the 110th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us fresh off of the top eight at NAIC, we have the one, the only, Victor Aum. Victor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be on the pod. I'm super excited to have you. You are someone who it's kind of been like, oh, he is a very smart deck builder and someone that I kind of want to have because Owen's been in my ear constantly about like, yo, Victor's got it. Victor's got the sauce. He knows what he's doing, right? And uh, if you listen to the podcast episode with Andy a couple episodes back, and if you haven't listened to that, you should go listen to it, everyone. Uh, we talked a lot about how you were the creator of the list. Andy got top four within Portland, and you didn't even play the deck. You were just like, yeah, here, this, this seems really good and it turned out to be incredibly good. And you've done that a lot. You're actually uh, yeah. one of the Lost Box Masters, I would say. <laughs> it ends up being that way. I did not mean for it to happen, but here <laughs> we are, um, especially after that NAIC finish. I, I would say that I am one of the top Lost Box players. Oh, there's a train overhead. But I am one of the top Lost Box players and deck builders right now. and super excited to share my knowledge today. I appreciate, too, that you are going to blatantly say that because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not. But the numbers are there. Like, if you remove <laughs> everything from Azul's group as far as Lost Box goes, I don't think there's anyone else who has as many decks that they have created, whether they were piloting it or not, that have made top cuts with Lost Box. Like maybe you're competing with Moffat potentially, but otherwise that, that's the only name that comes to mind as any possibility. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. This is your first time here, so we're going to do some rapid strike questions. Then we're going to talk about some of those decks that you've built in the past, why you've stuck with Lost Zone for so long, and then we're going to talk a little bit about your NAIC run. So, wrap strike questions. It's been a little while since we've done this. So, as a reminder for our listeners and viewers, I'm going to ask you six, not 60 questions. You're going to have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. And it's going to be like, what's your favorite this, this, or that, so that the people can get to know you a little bit better. No explanations, just straight no explanations. answer. Yep. I'm ready. All yep. right. Straight answer. Here we go. Question number one Winter or summer? Winter. What's your favorite snack? Mm, ice cream does that count uh, sure I'll, I'll just go with it what's your favorite retro format to play 2010 what's your favorite deck ever gengar stormfront from 2010 would you rather be late or be early late well i'd rather be early but i'm always late <laughs> what's your favorite internationals location mm, i've only ever been to columbus it's definitely not my favorite, but <laughs> out of all the ones I've been to, it has to be Columbus, I guess. That's unfortunate. Uh, super salad. Soup. What are the toppings on your perfect pizza? A little <laughs> bit of everything. Whatever they have, whatever their specialty is, a little bit of everything. What color sleeves do you use? Random. Cats or dogs? Cats. Juniper, sycamore, oak, rowan, or magnolia? Juniper. And that is time. So you got through 11 questions. It's pretty darn good. Nice. Okay. And I got to go back to the 2010 part. So gotcha. 2010 is your favorite format. And you said specifically Gengar. Now, I want to say for my own ed like edification and possibly others, that's better known as Kurskar, correct? Actually, that is incorrect. Incorrect. Okay, then please inform me. Yeah. Yeah. So there were two Gengars that were 
well, there were more than two that were legal, but there were two that were viable in that format. There was Gengar Stormfront and there was Gengar Arceus. Gengar Arceus is known as Cursegar, and that was played with Spiritomb. It had the it had the hit and run attack, and you would trainer lock or item lock your opponent. It was called trainer lock back then, but it would be item lock today. Um, and Gengar Stormfront, um, and then the Cursegar deck would run usually one Gengar Stormfront as a tech. Mm-hmm. Um, Gengar Stormfront has Feigning Spell and Shadow Room and Poltergeist, all three very good attack slash abilities. Uh, the main one for sure, though, is Shadow Room. You can put six damage counters on anything with a poke of power. And Uxie and Claydol were extremely prevalent in that format, so you could kind of take free prizes wherever you wanted. And I was able to pilot pilot that deck to a national championship. Um, I, I took first in juniors back in 2010, and that was kind of my first huge finish when I was little. Um, so that will always hold like a special place in my heart, that deck specifically. Nice. I had no idea that you were a junior national champion. <laughs> That's awesome. I am. Yeah, I am. And I took a long break. I guess we're going into the history of me as a player. Um, I took a long break between around 2013 to 2019, uh, 2020. So I, I have a long history of playing the game. I started playing it when I was like four or five. And I, I did well when I was little. And I'm I'm here to return and, and glad to have been glad to be doing well um, after being away from the game for so long. So when exactly did you return? So I came back um, about when Henry Brand won Worlds. Um, <laughs> so the start of last season before the pandemic, essentially, is when I when I returned. And I played a lot, a lot of Quagnag, which was a broken deck in that <laughs> format, by the way, because oh, no one respected Keldeo. I don't respect so that good. deck. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure I earned almost 400 points with Quagnag that season, like exclusively Quagnag. <laughs> And then I, so out of, I, I qualified for Worlds last season, played at Worlds, and out of my 500 points to qualify for Worlds, I think about 400 of them were Quagnag. Um, the one event I, the first regional I, I went to as a master um, was with Quagnag, and I day two, and I was on stream. Um, that deck was busted. I do also have to say, this is going to be a very short interview. We're going to have to cut it off because you're calling it by the wrong name. It is definitely Nag Quag, but uh, I'll forgive you. <laughs> I honestly have said both at different points in time, but I don't know. Either either is fine. It, <laughs> it rhymes. That was for anyone who didn't play back then. That was actually one of the biggest controversies, and it's so stupid. It <laughs> but people would argue so much about whether Quagnac is Nag-Quag. alphabetical, but they they sound pretty similar. So I'm not like too. I, I'm not. I'm pretty neutral in the argument, to be honest. But that deck really good. Beats Fire decks, beats Malamar once you put in Espioxis. It beat Guardian once you put in Lolan Ninetales, which I did, and uh, and it beats and it beats uh, Pidgeotto, which was also a top deck at the time. That, yeah, that was definitely the best part in my eyes was just auto winning Pidgeotto feels so good. Yep, yep. Anyway, yeah, it was it was very good. We're not we're not a Nagquag podcast. We're a little more relevant <laughs> to the current time. So right. let's jump into the lost. Okay, so <laughs> it's I okay, I also have some bad feelings about that deck. I have gone 05 once. No, I went 1-4. I went 1-4 once in a League Cup with that deck, beating the bye, and somehow losing to two Blacephalons <laughs> by bricking you so just had hard. the wrong list. You didn't have you didn't have my busted list. I, I clearly didn't because what I you just the reason, drew past okay. a lot. <laughs> I guess a lot of my accomplishments this season are from like not even from me, but like 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 you mentioned, being a deck builder and like people playing my list and like doing well with them. 
Um, that certainly extended back to last season as well with um, Nag Quag slash Quag Nag. Um, yeah, it was my list was in, my list was very good for that deck. But okay, we can move on yeah. into this season. So let's let's get to what, what you just mentioned. You want to hear? So you okay. you mentioned like okay, a lot of people have done well with my list. You are a right. You're you're more than a deck builder. I do want to point out you just top aided the largest internationals the largest western tournament ever so clearly you are also <laughs> a good pilot which is something that uh i don't want you to sell yourself short on but you are a great deck builder what are some of the loss zone creations that you have come up with in the past that people have done incredibly well with yeah so the most successful ones um are i went down to charlotte with um a couple of friends including Justin Bakari, and on the drive there, he wasn't sure what to play. And people in the car were selling him on different decks, like sell me on Lugia, sell me on your Lost Box nonsense, Victor. And I, <laughs> I, I pitched it pretty well in that I said that there was... I actually, the week before Charlotte, I had won the late night going like almost undefeated. It, it, it was a pretty big late night too, like 150 plus players. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this deck... And for those unaware, um, this was Charlotte was like in the middle of Silver Tempest. So it was like the Lugia format where Lugia was clearly the best deck in the format and everything else had to at least like try to have an answer to Lugia pretty much if they wanted to do well. Either have an answer to Lugia or like beat everything else, which was like Gudra's strategy, I guess. Um, but this is in the middle of Lugia format. I just did well with this crazy Lost Box deck in the late night which had 1-1 Aerodactyl V-Star, which was unheard of at the time, unseen at the time. And the reason being is that if you go first, you can Ancient Star and beat Lugia that way. If you go second, you have a small chance of donking a Lugia or knocking out their own their lone Lugia if you set up and they, they don't set up. Um, so either way, you have at least a game plan against Lugia, and that was the idea behind the Aero V-Star, and it did really well for me online. So I, I told Justin, like, hey, this deck has at least a 50-50 into pretty much the whole meta, and you're able to beat players that aren't as good um, by outskilling them if you're good with the, with the Lost Box deck. And I was able to sell him on the list. Um, we both played the same 60 I played in the late night. I missed top. Uh, I missed day two barely. I lost my win and in, or I guess my win and in to my win and in, but I ended 5-3-1. Um, but Justin took the deck all the way to a top four finish. And um, this was pre-rotation, of course, in the middle of the Silver Tempest format. And yeah, the, the deck did really well. It, it didn't really lose to anything. He ended up facing a, a bad matchup in top four, which was um, Eternatus Weezing. And that we didn't play Raikou at the time. We played Zeraora, the baby Zeraora that has rotated from Vivid Voltage. So that we didn't have a really great way to answer Weezing. But up until he hit that, it was smooth sailing because the deck also... Turns out when you add Aerodactyl to beat Lugia, Aerodactyl also feasts on DTE Mew and also feasts on an Arceus deck. So it ends up just being like a really good tech, especially for the time. And that was the first um, of my successful Lost Box lists. Yeah, the Aerodactyl is something that still is largely unseen. We'll get to Aiden's, I assume, <laughs> Puerto Rican mm -hmm. run. But uh, mm -hmm. the Arceus matchup is definitely a big one because as I was preparing for NAIC, I did grab aiden's list because i saw oh, it was created by you like this must be a good deck right and ooh, you really do like they have a tough time dealing with an aerodactyl and being able to turn to oko and arceus like an only trinity nova once or never 
Trinity Nova at all, if their setup is yep. bad and you go yep. first, is disgustingly good in that matchup. Otherwise, a hard matchup. Right. Um, it Dark matchups can be pretty difficult sometimes, depending on what text they have for you. And um, Rock Crush and Lost Dive are both actually really good <laughs> attacks into the matchup. Even if you don't knock out something with Rock Crush, the fact that it discards an energy can sometimes break them if they if they io node themselves down to two or something. Yeah. Yeah, the non B barrel ones are <laughs> that's definitely good. It's like memory skipping them, where you're like, okay, memory skip, right. and they're like, uh, uh oh. <laughs> Yep. Except you put on more pressure than 10 damage does, which is even better. Also true. <laughs> You're like, I'm two-shotting you with pretty much anything. Yes. Yes. Um, so that is the story of how Aerodactyl first saw its day in Lost Box. There was like, I definitely didn't invent Aerodactyl, of course. Aerodactyl was was popularized in, in VicaVolt and whatnot beforehand, but I, I was the first that kind of tried to put it in Lost Box and and Justin, I guess, was the first to find success with it in, in a tournament, in a big tournament. Mm -hmm. After that, um, we can move on to Portland, and that was where I was playing Rapid Strike Intel, and then Owen was talking to me about their take on Lost Box, and I said, you have to try Lumineon. My current Lost Box list, I'm not playing it for this tournament, but my current Lost Box list is like this card, this card, and add Lumineon Ultra Ball. And Owen was like, okay, let me try that. And then uh, before I knew it, all of you were playing the <laughs> list, or at least 59 out of 60 mm -hmm. of what um, Owen and I were talking about. Honestly, the, the largest majority of the list was just what Owen sent me. Um, but I did recommend the Lumineon, and that's what took Andy Gantner to top four. And yeah, Lumineon... It's a good fish. The, the Luminion was nuts in that deck. So I ended up top four. I cut the Snorlax for like an extra energy because I didn't know how to manage my energy properly. If there was like, <laughs> I think it was like nine instead of 10 or something like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, the Luminion came in incredibly clutch. The Ultra Balls also came in incredibly clutch. We played two Ultra Balls. And just like the fact against Judge decks, like, okay, I have Greninja into a VIP pass and some other trash and I can get rid of them is mm -hmm. felt really good but yeah that was another one that no one even azul on his podcast was making fun of the ultra balls in the deck and it was like uh obviously kyogre became the better deck later in the format as lugia got better because right. reagan gave us the 60 but right. at the time that, that was the sauce that was it yep it does there are situations where ultra ball can feel bad discarding from your hand but I honestly can't remember a time where Ultra Ball actively lost me the game because of that requirement. And I'm sure there are times where I've won the game because I've discarded things from my hand and then didn't get Ionode or judged into them at a later point in time. So the, it definitely has some hidden value there that is like not super easy to evaluate. Yeah, I think a lot of people automatically jump to, oh, you just lost zone the bad cards, but you draw three cards per turn that you cannot lost zone, mm -hmm. which is, you know, top deck mm -hmm. plus concealed cards. That's a lot. Three and cards per turn, four turns. That's 12 yes. cards that you couldn't have, you know, yes. thinned out. And we'll get to my list for NAIC <laughs> later, but if you poke a stop into a VIP pass, that that thing is getting that thing is just stuck there unless you have a vacuum or ultra ball to get rid of it. So it it ends up actually synergizing pretty well uh so there was that list but that wasn't the only one that had been yours you saw your most successful run i think would be the next one correct where you got a top 16 um 
Am I incorrect? Which, sorry, I'm, I'm, I've lost track. Which one are we talking about now at this point? That's a great question. I definitely should have brought it up. Um, it was with Aerodactyl. Oh, oh, in Fresno? Yeah. I got top 32. 32, 32. Okay, yes. I had a win in for top 16, ended up tying it, so I, I top 32. So that was, I actually, this was my, oh, I guess like beforehand, there was also the Orlando list. So this was even before Charlotte. So I guess we'll go back in time to that. Um, something I did not mention is that in Orlando, oh, there's also another train passing by. One second. Sorry. You're good. We actually can't hear it. The mic's not picking it up. <laughs> okay. So, okay. There we go. Um, in Orlando regionals, this was when, what was good in the meta at the time? This was basically my first breakout moment this season. I started off the tournament eight and one with turbo loss box. And this was back in February. And this was also in a Lugia format, but it was like early on in the Lugia format. Um, and I think I was like pretty much the only one playing Turbo at the deck mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and it was based off of, I want to say Alberto Conti from Europe. There was a Turbo list that basically was the start of Turbo Lost Box in general in, over in Europe. It played zero cram it played pokestop it played four uh switch cards yep. and i think it was four rope four carts four net and then two seals four seal stone and that was kind of like the start of turbo lost box and i tested that deck and thought it was really good so i ended up bringing it to orlando but i added one cram mm -hmm. And then I started 8-1. I ended up losing two winning ins to top eight. One was Lugia Greedent VMAX, which is a bad matchup. And one was Mew, uh, played by Grant Hayes, who ended up top eighting that event. And I think the deck was really good. And I, I was at the time, I think I think I was the first one to play one cram and do well with it. That was probably an innovation that would have happened without me regardless, but I, it is still fun to say that I get to, that I was the first. Yeah, the uh, turbo list was, you were right, is Alberto. And I'm remembering this one because I saw the exact same list and Alberto had taken it from a Japanese list, which was super similar, right? And it was one of those, you look right. at a Japanese tournament and you're like, okay, this got like 14th place. So everyone's ignoring it because it's like the third or fourth loss box down. And then Alberto took it, yeah. like, I want to say a top 32 or something like that in one of the European regionals. And then obviously you took it and innovated further into the cram, which is a very good card. <laughs> like, it turns out 110 for no energy on turn one is consistently good. It's shocker, yes. right? Having one feels good. Zero was kind of greedy, but two was definitely not needed for the type of deck that the deck was. Yes. Um, and so one ended up being the the happy medium. And I ended up... The reason I, I went back to Orlando was because I ended up tying my finish. I was 23rd in Orlando, and I was 23rd again at Fresno. And this was the regional right before NAIC, before the last regional before Paldea. Mm -hmm. And I um, played 1-1 Aerodactyl again after I had bombed Milwaukee with Kyogre. So I played uh, in Milwaukee. I played Kyogre just like because it was doing so well. Mm -hmm. That was right after Azul's group did well on the East Coast um, with with the Kyogre list. And I ended up going 1-1-3 into five Lugias, and I was like, not again. This is not happening again. Kyogre is actually a dice roll hidden behind some flower selectings. 
So I cut the Kyogre, put Aerodactyl back in from the prior formats because it had kind of died down. It Obviously, it saw success in Charlotte, but that was a completely different format before rotation, so no one had really tested Aerodactyl again after rotation, after the, after quick balls were cut and after nets were cut. I tested it. I played it to a, a cup. Um, I won a cup, and it, did, it just seemed good because Aerodactyl shores up the matchups that you would need Kyogre for, mm -hmm. namely Ark, Lugia, Mew, and Maridon. Aerodactyl kind of hits all four the same way Kyogre does, which is kind of funny that it works out that way. And yeah, I, I did well. I had a win in for top 16, uh, tied it, and ended up top 32. And then Aiden played my list, same 60, to the Fresno Cup. Mm -hmm. And I think went either undefeated or close in, in, to undefeated into top eight and then lost for something or another. I don't remember exactly what. But Aiden really liked the deck and then ended up taking a similar version to Puerto Rico and got top two with um, an Aerodactyl version of Lost Box as well. So that was also inspired from me playing it to Fresno. So that is a lot. That is a lot of times that this deck, that your decks, your creations have gotten, you know, very significant CP. That's, you know, top four, top four, second in an SPE, in addition to your own top 32 finishes. And who knows what else is included in there as well, right? Like, I'll throw my top 128 in there, and I assume there's plenty of other times where there's just, like, other random little, like, oh, Victor creation got, you know, the top 128, top 256, etc. So oh, I will say there... There is one more that I'd like to mention. I played okay, so I played seven regionals this this um, season, mm -hmm. and I played some form of comfy deck to six of them. And out of the six times I played comfy, I've gotten points at five. And the one that I want to mention way way back, even before Lugia came out, right when Lost Origin came out, was Peoria regionals. I played a Sable Zard variant, but I played two two one quick shooting Inteleon. <laughs> And I didn't have a great finish. I was top 128 because I kept hitting Reggie's and I didn't tech for Reggie's or didn't respect it. Oh man, another train. I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't realize the trains would be so bad in this location. You're good. Uh, as you're saying that, Reggie's in that meta was very good, but a lot of us didn't respect it. It was a very awkward, yes. like looking back, it was like, oh, actually that deck was nuts, but no one thought yes. it was nuts. It was, it was, I did, I was... I thought it might have been okay or well positioned or good, but I didn't expect top players to play it, which was ended up being my downfall because I hit Grant Manley twice, <laughs> um, and I I actually tied and then was one turn away from losing, but scooped to Grant Manley in day two. Anyways, the deck was broken aside from the fact that I had a bad Reggie's matchup. So if I just included a Cape of Toughness, which is searchable with the Drizzile because I ran Drizzile, it would have been like a really good list because quick shooting just dominates any mirror like really really hard or any or any uh lost on tina which was also popular at the time it just wrecks it completely because you can take multiple two prize turns mm -hmm. with your save lie especially because you were playing one or two horn at the time as well that deck was probably my closest to being actually broken even though it had like one of the worst finishes out of all the lists i've made <laughs> like obviously my naic 90 if you're going results-based, results-oriented thinking, that list clearly better. But I honestly think my Peoria list was was very close to greatness. So that one definitely deserves a shout-out, too. I actually forgot that one exists until you mentioned it. Because, again, 
shout out to Owen for constantly being in my ear about like, this is broken and Teleon in this thing is amazing. And then Torted actually played it on stream for a very significant amount of time trying to break really? the deck. Yeah. There was, I think two streams in a row, you know, these two, three hour streams of just like, no, 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 we can make this better. We can add this stuff to it. Cause it turns out shady dealings for chorus is very good. In addition to <laughs> quick shooting being very good. Yes. Both are very good. And I guess we kind of take that mindset to NAIC, where Luminion Ultra Ball for Chorus, having more copies of Chorus, turns out pretty good. You need that card a lot of the time. So let's jump into the NAIC run. So people should be familiar with the fact at the end of day one, you were the 9-0. And every time in those in-between rounds, your name was right there at the top, you know, the 607080 into the 9-0, and then into day two. And that's a big accomplishment. Like, even if it was like, oh, you didn't win the tournament, like going 9-0 in day one is absolutely massive that one person gets to do that at every tournament sometimes sometimes no one gets to do that but uh how did you end up on the list that you ended up on for naic like what made you cut the aerodactyl what made you keep the luminion even though i think you kind of alluded to that one like what made you get to this exact list yeah so it was kind of a long story. I ended up going to Columbus a little bit early. I got there Tuesday morning after a red eye. So I, I had some good testing time in, weaved in with, with work. Mm -hmm. I tested a bunch with John Ang and Rahul and, and Bakari and, and the whole group. John Ang's list from Puerto Rico was their starting point for Turbo Lost Box along with Alex, I forget his last name, but the the fourth place player from Puerto Rico, John's friend. And they were testing a very similar list to what they had, but they basically cut Raihan for Penny mm -hmm. because, and then they were also testing Penny Halucha. And, and we found that Penny Halucha is really good for Mirror, but maybe like two slots, it's a little bit unnecessary. You don't need to dedicate two whole slots to the matchup. So then they were just trying Penny alone without Halucha which we found also helps the mirror a little bit, but doesn't really help anything else. Mm -hmm. So for a while, I had Penny in my list and no Luminion as well. And it was okay for mirror, but bad for everything else. And then the night before the tournament, I was testing with Andrew Martin, previous regional champion from... And I, I, I've met him from playing Cube so much online. Um, Andrew Martin was also testing Lost Box. He was testing a Turbo Kyogre variant, and I was playing my variant that I was planning on bringing that day. Neither of us had Luminion, and for like eight or nine games straight, the game depended on who was able to attack, and then the other person would just brick. So the first person would cram turn one or turn two, the other person would not attack till turn three or turn four, and then it would, the game would just be over for like eight games in a row. <laughs> and I was like, this is not good. This never happened to me when I played Luminion. I am putting Luminion back in my deck. So I took out the one gear that I had, and I took out the third nest ball, added one Luminion, one, um, one Ultra Ball into the, into the list. I was already on Echoing Horn because I think that card is really good as a tech card across the meta. And I, my last tech spots ended up being third Vacuum and Artisan. Artisan, I was flexing between third Sealstone and maybe third Pokestop. Artisan kind of felt like something, it, it's, it wasn't like an amazing card, but it ended up being like kind of a, a, a between 
fourth nest or third nest ball and third sealstone where it's like still a vacuum target but you can still search for a pokemon and it doesn't provide no value if you've already sealstone that game or you found a sealstone already mm-hmm. and that's how the list came to be so the luminion was actually like quite a late addition it was only until like 9 p.m or 10 p.m that i went back to the luminion after finding that like one gear wasn't enough i was a little bit scared of luminion to be honest because i thought getting iota into ultra ball sounded pretty bad it I don't think it actually ended up coming up because normally most games you would use the Ultra Ball before you are in a position to get Iona down to one or two. Mm-hmm. So I ended up making a late night swap over to over to the fish, and I'm sorry that I ever doubted doubted <laughs> them. Sorry I ever doubted the fish. How it's could so you good. ever doubt the fish? Yeah. The fish yeah. got your back. <laughs> the problem with Pokegear is that if you are forced to use it turn one, it's like a 50% chance to hit Colrus. That's really low. It's really low. And that so, 50% is assuming you like didn't prize any, right? It's Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a rough. The one of Pokegear always felt like copium to me of like no, no, no. This always hits Colrus, right? And I, I even put this tweet out at one point and someone's like, "Oh, isn't playing more Colrus better?" And it's like, "Yeah, but it's a slot for like half of a Colrus." It is half of a Colrus. And Luminion and Ultra Ball are one chorus and 0.9 chorus respectively because you could prize luminion still but that is still more than 0.5 of a chorus and chorus is the best card in the deck <laughs> if you have never obviously, played lost box oh yes it is very good and obviously there are downsides that i'm kind of glossing over mm-hmm. of course the viewers are probably listening in and being like luminion is a two prizer it's such a liability which is true it, it, it does come up sometimes but my counter argument is that one you can always aqua return and in most matchups you do have the time to do so especially mirror and two even if you don't aqua return there are situations where if you hit a certain supporter you win the game so that could be oh you chorus and now i get to shuriken to ralt because they don't have anything in play you have one it doesn't matter if those are two prizes on your bench mm-hmm. or there could be a situation like oh i need boss for game there's like a two prizer on the bench i have raikou charged up now it, that also doesn't matter that you have a two prizer on your bench, so the the there is certainly downside to Luminion, but it's not nearly as much as people would expect. I think. I want to point out uh, something that, and point out if I'm wrong because I've been wrong plenty of times on this podcast. There's too many hours for me not to be wrong. But like against Guardy, for example, you go, mm-hmm. you want to go cram into Sableye. But that doesn't always work. So you have that extra turn in between sometimes where you can end up like, okay, cram into, well, they have Manaphy on the bench. So I have Mirage Gates active. I can Aqua return, which has now set up my board more, right? Because you're able to do the thing. And then, okay, I'm going to Aqua return into whatever you want to. Shove your ninja active. Who cares? And then you can Sableye next turn because you were able to grab the Chorus off of the Luminion in order to get the Sableye for the next turn. Because maybe you were a card short and you just didn't quite get there, right? So there are these extra turns where you're like, you don't have 10 yet. And Mirage Gate is useless otherwise. Right. That can come up. I would say that's probably not the optimal route because that would leave Guardi open to finding like a collapse or a penny. Mm-hmm. If you, for example, swing into Crest for 110, and then if you Luminion, you're either hitting the Crest again, which is kind of a waste of damage, or like you're opening them up to heal some more, which is also not great. The optimal route would be if you're going first to Sableye turn two, which isn't always possible, but that's like the, the ideal. You pretty much win from there. Yeah. And then if you're going second, actually, I don't think it came up because I've only played against two Guardies in, in the tournament. 
But you could actually Luminion turn one against a Cresselia, and it does 120. So that's always a route that you can go for, which is kind of nice. That's also pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Luminion ended up being in that penny slot that that John and Alex were testing and actually ended up playing to NAIC. And I think it ended up being a, a better call than Penny because it, it kind of does what Penny does because you can awkward turn it away in the mirror. So it's like a two prizer that's not a liability. So you can still get access to your forest steel stone, which is part of the reason Penny Penny is even considered in the deck if you're not playing Halucha. But it also has value against other matchups. Like if there was even round one, there was a situation where I was winning the game against Fusion Mew but I was able to seal up the game even faster by being able to Lumineon for boss, like turn two to, to knock out like Lone Mew. So there are situations where it, where it comes up in other matchups for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the actual run itself. Now we don't need like a, you know, a line by line because some matchups are probably a pretty straightforward. I use Sableye and they lost because they were playing United Wings, right? But which I think you actually did hit Shemansky, didn't you? I did hit Shemansky round 13, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so round one, you went 9-0. and oh. What are some of the matchups that you're like, oh, this one felt really good or my techs really worked out in this one? Or like, how are you doing? Because I think we checked in, you were like 4-0 or something like that. And you were already like, I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, um, the deck tends to do that to me and pretty much anyone that that plays it. Even when you're not playing Kyogre, it can be pretty exhausting to play to play Lost Box, making so many decisions. I'm thankful that I've played Comfy to so many events that even when I'm tired and fatigued, like I ended up, I end up making at least like somewhat correct decisions most of the time. I think I played really well day one, and I played pretty poorly day two. Even on stream round ten, I played terribly, mm -hmm. but I got bailed out um, by my opponents getting unlucky or misplaying here and there and whatnot. I had a really I had a lot of close games in day one. And I would say to to go nine oh at a tournament, you have to have a good deck, you have to play well and you have to get lucky. I think all three need to be true unless your deck is absolutely broken and like un, unheard of in the meta, in which case you might not need to get lucky. You might need to just have average luck. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's true for my deck at all. I think my deck was well positioned and, and was built well, but it wasn't like broken. So I I would say I did get lucky. There, if I had average luck day one, I probably would have gotten more like seven two or six oh three is my thinking. Mm -hmm. There were a total, a grand total of three games where I won game two, and game no, I won game one and game two. I had to boss stall and hope that they did not have any options left to take a knockout for the next two turns. And if they did, I would tie. And if they didn't, I would win. And all three of the times I tried that, it, it ended up working out. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> the plot so, armor is real. <laughs> it is good to know your outs and your win conditions. And sometimes you just get lucky that they, they don't have it. Although, to be fair, one of them was against Lugia. And I, know that, I knew that they were out of energies. Mm -hmm. So that was like a, a pretty high chance that they couldn't get out of it. The other two were against Arceus where they Ionoed themselves, so also a low chance that they would get out of it because they had also attached a bunch of DTEs to their Pokemon when they didn't need to. So I, I guess in a sense I got lucky that they did not play around that win condition. Nice. So it's one of those things of like knowing the rest of the metagame and knowing how no, quote-unquote normal decks are built comes yes, massively yes. in handy. Nice. Yes, knowing that the two arcs only played one switch, one rope, and, and four DTE, and knowing that the Lugia played like X amount of energy and discarded Y amount already definitely helped. Um, some other funny stories that I have are 
as you mentioned, I played against Alex Shemansky, United Wings. You would think that that, that matchup was a stomp, and it normally is, but I did get donked in the game. So I, <laughs> I went 2-1 into, into United Wings, and Alex Shemansky was happy that he, that he actually took a game. I also had a game loss going into round eight, which was because my some of my cars were getting warped, and not all of them were getting warped at the same amount. So I had mm-hmm. to replace those, and I got a game loss. But I was still able to play the round, and I hit Cyrus, actually, round eight. And we were both joking that, yeah, maybe it was good that I got a game loss into an unfavorable matchup. But then I, I was able to 2-0 Cyrus because they had a worse start, and I was able to donk. Well, I got to go first game two because I got the game one loss, and I was able to knock out Remoraid. And then she made a mistake and benched another Remoraid. And I went Horn, Sableye, knock out two Remoraids. And now I'm down to three prizes. Cyrus is still at six, no Octillery. And my Raikou could just sit on the bench, like threatening checkmate at any point. So I won game two. And then game three, I was able to donk Lone and on V going second. So I was able to actually 2-0 Cyrus before going 0-2 to Cyrus in top eight, which was a little bit bittersweet. Um, but I can say that I was able to defeat the champion once, I guess. <laughs> That's like absolutely disgusting. They're like KO Remoraid into Horn Sableye double Remoraid in that matchup is. Yeah. It's just so good. But that's one of those. Why isn't Rapstrike Urshifu the BDIF? Like, sure, it takes a bad Lugia matchup, but what you just mentioned is one of the struggles. It's something I think you felt when you played Inteleon VMAX in Portland. Yes. You can still just lose to random bricking or like your opponent targeting down Remoraid too often and you don't have the cards to get out of it. I think when I sat down at the table versus Cyrus the first time at round eight, I think I felt like the matchup was like maybe 30-70 in, in Intel's favor. But after having played it twice against Cyrus, mm-hmm. I think it's more like 40-60. Because if I am able to ever Greninja Remoraid turn one going second or turn two going first, I think they don't normally have a way to respond to that because the, the engine is so, your Yoga Loop combo is so reliant on being able to use the Octillery turn after turn. And the Yoga Loop combo, I assume, is why the matchup feels unfavored. Because without Yoga Loop, right. it's like multi-price turns aren't as threatening. Would that be correct? Yes, yes. If you don't, if you don't Yoga Loop, well, it's not only Yoga Loop. Not being able to search for Rabbit Shark Energy is bad. Not not being able to search for Inteleon V Max as easily is bad. Just the whole. Sometimes you even need Auxiliary for Karina's focus to be able to draw yourself out and into the game. And if you don't have that. The, the deck can sometimes falter as I as I experience in Portland, unfortunately. So how did you feel at the end of day one? So we got out of there at, gosh, it was late. It was like 9.30 or whatever. So it was a long day of playing Pokemon, a long day of selecting flowers and figuring out what to loss zone and counting your energy and et cetera, right? How were yes. you feeling? Just like, I'm on top of the world right now at the largest tournament ever? Did you like, you know, did, did that get to you? <laughs> I, I wish that's how I felt, to be honest. And I think there was a part of me that felt happy and elated and satisfied and, and so on and so forth. But I was, first and foremost, exhausted from such a long day. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I will say, after I beat my round nine opponent, I actually hit Katron round nine. I, I definitely cheered a little bit, being able to lock up that 9-0 and because I knew it was such an accomplishment and I knew that it was a really cool thing to have done and to be able to finish off. And that, that matchup was one of the matchups where I had to boss and pray and hope that Katron didn't hit a DTE. Mm-hmm. They actually were able to... I actually bossed up Alakazam. They attached a V-Guard but didn't have a second energy for like a turn or two. 
So it was very, very close. It came down to the wire. They had to Iono for one to hit, try to hit energy and, and didn't get there. Um, but basically, after I, f I finished round nine, there were there was a part of me that was elated and, and happy and satisfied, but I was feeling tired, and I also felt a lot of pressure and a lot mm -hmm. of anxiety. And I think that's one of my biggest weaknesses as a player, and part of the reason I want to be a caster one day is I, I, re I get really anxious, really nervous. I think the problem with going 9-0 and... Obviously, it's ideal not to have this mindset, but it's hard to kind of tell your body to to react in the proper, optimal way. But the fact that nine o can when when you go nine o, the pressure's on because if it feels like if you end up not making top eight from that from that start from the nine o start, it kind of feels like people are going to talk about your run in a in a specific way. They're going to be like, oh, they started nine o, but they didn't make top eight. What a shame! Like they were definitely in a position where they should have made top eight and so on even if you were to go eight and one people will talk about it a little bit differently they'll be like oh they're in a they're in a good they're in a good spot to make top eight and if if you don't make top eight it it wasn't the 9-0 cinderella run that got destroyed and like got wrecked in day two it was it was a run that was start that was going well but it it was never guaranteed to top eight so you you don't look at it negatively mm -hmm. i guess but a 9-0 run that doesn't top eight i don't think anyone should look at it negatively and 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 say like bad things about it but that in the moment that's how i felt people would perceive me so the pressure did get a little bit to me i didn't get a lot of sleep that night and i didn't play well day two morning too to be honest but i got bailed out and thankfully i, I was able to hit top eight regardless uh in in spite of my negative mindset that i need i need to help fix so one thing that uh, before we get to the day two run, you mentioned that you are interested in casting in the future uh, mm -hmm. at the time of recording. And by the time this comes out, it might have already happened, depending on when people listen to the episode. But you are going to be doing a casting event here very soon. Uh, we're not sponsored by them, but would you like to throw a little commercial out there for how people can listen to you do some casting work? Yes. So this weekend, let me check the dates. I'm really bad with dates. So <laughs> July... So today is July 4th. Correct. July 8th and July 9th mm -hmm. should be Cardboard Clash, where we are inviting eight Pokemon speedrunners from across the world, I think, that have never played the Pokemon TCG before. This, this event is run by Echi, who is a speedrunning and Pokemon TCG enthusiast. And we are inviting them to play in an invitational of sorts. And I will be casting and helping coach and judge as well. And I think it'll be so much fun. This is my first big casting debut. I have casted at Tabletop Village, um, but this is, I would say, my first big casting debut, and I'm I'm super excited. So, if this is before that event, listeners, definitely feel free to check it out at Twitch.tv/etchy. Otherwise, I'm sure the vods will be up on his YouTube as well. So be sure to check it out. It'll be lots of fun. Shout out to the other unofficial sponsor of this podcast, Tabletop Village, which you just mentioned. But uh, yes. yeah, be sure to check that one out. I was lucky enough to be selected to commission one of the quote unquote commercial deck profiles for the event. So I've seen all four of the deck lists, which were created by Jake Gearhart. And I'm saying that because all four of the lists have been just put together to play into each other flawlessly and it actually looks like a super fun format it's tinkaton ampharos oinkalone and something else that i'm now forgetting so Claude Zire. Claude Claude Zire. Zire. there we go yeah uh, yes. Claude Zire eradicate so they are 
not meta at all, but they are incredibly balanced into each other and it should be a super fun event. And I also think it's something where playing these decks into each other just on your own free time seems like it could be a very fun kind of like theme deck on steroids. If anyone else played theme deck on PTCGO. If you really like alternate formats like GLC or cubing or retro and just trying to get into the weeds of something new so you can be like, oh, what are the new strategies? And, And if you put these restrictions on, It'll definitely be a fun event to, to check out, and I'm super, super excited for it. I'm actually on-site, on-location in Chicago. I'm not, I'm, I don't live in Chicago actively, but I'm, I'm here in town to, to cast this event live in person, and I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I also want to throw out there, too, the, uh, since we're on the topic, I got a list of like notes on the list from there that Jake had written about like, oh, you can work these into the video. And I had three to four minute deck profile. The list of reasons for text that Jake had put together was gigantic. <laughs> I couldn't use any of them because it was a beginner deck profile. So I just had to explain right. why Ampharos is good and why Mareep is or Flaffy is <laughs> good and all that stuff. But I was like, this man has thought this thing through. It's such a high yeah. level. <laughs> I think I think it's great because they're decks that are playable for beginners but will reward anyone that actually is able to make those insane smart plays and hopefully we can we can crown a champion that is really smart about how they play the tcg even after just picking it up for one weekend and then one more thing before the day two runs this is my podcast and i get to you used to be a speedrunner. i think i just learned I that did. what did you speed yeah, run? i did i'm i wasn't the only game I've speedrun in the past is Pokemon Legends Arceus. Mm-hmm. I have a sub four hour time in that game, which was at at one point top three. It's more like top seven now, I think. And I, I had written a guide for it too, which was used by like a, a YouTube channel, Easy Speezy, who does like speedruns of a lot of games like casually, just so like just for fun. And that video got like a couple hundred thousand views and like gave me a shout out. So that was like my one claim to fame in the speedrunning <laughs> world. Nice. And I think that's part of the reason Etchy was so excited to have me on because I am a speedrunner Pokemon TCG combo, which which fits the theme of the tournament pretty well. Yeah, you are that like perfect crossover of like TCG expert, <laughs> someone who has casting experience, and you're a part of the world that everyone's being invited from. Right, right, yeah. So I, it ended up being a perfect event for me to to be at, and it also was perfect timing that I was able to get a ride back from Columbus to Chicago from some of my Chicago friends back because I used to live near Chicago when I went to college, so I have a lot of Chicago friends in the area. So it ended up being like a perfect everything. Super happy to be here, and and be sure to check it out if you're listening. So let's get into the day two run. So you're nine zero. You already okay. mentioned you know the stress and the stuff like that, and you're round ten. You've already kind of mentioned you know you're on stream. And yes. it sounds like you've either watched it back or do you just know off the top of your head that you no, made no, some mistakes? I, 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 I knew the moment I played down the cards that I had misplayed badly. And I, I honestly, I have avoided watching it back because I think it'll be so cringeworthy. Game one, I think I played fine. I won uh, off of a faster start and Angus had a slower start. Mm-hmm. Game two was when all the problems happened. I had also a, a better start into Angus's worst start. But I what was Angus playing end. for people who might have missed it? Yes. It was round 10. Angus was playing Gardevoir. Cool. So uh, game two, we got into a situation where I got Ionoed, but I was only, I think, one prize away from winning. So I hit Luminion off of the Iono, and I thought, oh, I have Clara for game here because I can just Clara for Sableye Psychic. Um, I just blanked and forgot that I had no switch out in hand, and my Comfy was stuck in the active. So... I, I played the Luminion, got the Clara, and then realized I didn't have game. So I just basically 
did nothing that turn mm -hmm. and it allowed Angus to kind of come back into the game with I believe Angus had lone Gardevoir EX and Gardevoir on bench with damage on it. Um, I think two damage counters, so it would be knocked out by Sableye to take my last prize. And eventually Angus took a couple more prizes and we were down to, I believe, one and one prize. Angus was down and it was my turn again. And I had one more opportunity to find game and I got Ionoed once again. I comfied, didn't hit anything, switched into Raikou, which was my last draw for the turn. Mm -hmm. And I had a Raikou and active Sableye on bench, and I just needed a way to take one knockout. I Raikou fleet-footed into Mirage Gate. Mirage Gate, in theory, would win me the game. I play it down, start looking through my deck, Angus scoops their cards up, but I only have one energy <laughs> in deck. So I didn't have game. Because my Sableye was on the bench, my Raikou was in the active, I could only either retreat the Raikou or attach the Sableye. I couldn't do both at the same time. So Angus scooped prematurely before I could even check if I had the two energies. And I didn't even bother checking my Discord or my prizes or anything because I knew that this was the last turn. Like there was no there was no reason to not play it. It didn't really matter. So I just played it and just looked through my deck, hoping that I like miscounted earlier and that there were two energies in deck or something. And Angus scooped up immediately before I could even say anything. And it, it bailed me out of a tie. And it became a win instead. That uh, I was rooting for you in that situation, obviously as a lost box believer. But uh, mm. <laughs> that hurts. That hurts to hear. Yeah, I, I feel really bad. Um, but he did say that he didn't think it was it was my fault at all. And I think I guess I guess that's true because I I didn't even have time to stop him. It just happened so fast, and that's how my my day two started. Now we've all. And this is true of me as streaming as well. But as soon as your opponent does something, you're like, I'm going to concede before you beat me on, you know, PTCGO or PTCG Live yeah. now. And it's you can't actually do that when the game matters because of that situation. Like you could misplay or something like that or you mismanage the resources, but it happens. And if you don't think you've ever done that, think back to PTCGO and think back to how you want to click concede ASAP. <laughs> I, I will say I can I, I really do feel feel for Angus in that situation and I feel bad because I've had a similar experience in the past. I think when we were walking up to the streaming table, Angus mentioned that even though he's he didn't say this part, but he is a regional champion mm -hmm. over in in Australia. And he mentioned that he's obviously been on stream before, but the stream over there is not the same feeling as being on stream at NAIC because of the production value and, and the crowd and, and whatnot and the lights and everything. Mm -hmm. So this was I believe their first like big stream game. And I think the nerves may have gotten to him a little bit the same way it had gotten to me in my first stream game back when I was playing Nag Quag Quag Nag at Knoxville. <laughs> I actually was in a I actually had checkmate on board. I had uh, Alolan Ninetales up against Guard of Guardian and they have no way to knock out the Alolan Ninetales because it has safeguard like like Miltank does in, in this format. Mm -hmm. Um but I I decked myself out because I thought I had game on board when I didn't. So can relate to Angus and, and throwing on stream. It, it definitely gets to you. The lights and the white noise, that thing is so loud. It is very annoying. Yeah, it's a it's a very different experience than, and like you said, if anyone's been on your locals run a stream, like Tabletop Village, we've run a stream for a while, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's a little bit of pressure. And I've been told by people like, oh, I don't like it because I know people are watching me. This mm -hmm. is that on a whole different level. <laughs> Right. Uh, how'd the rest of day two go for you? You mentioned the Alex Shemansky matchup, you know, into the United Wings where you got almost bodied. 
but you managed to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, so I beat Al Shimansky in round 13. I beat Angus round 10. Round 11 was against Rowan, who was also playing Gardevoir and mm-hmm. top forward. I was able to 2-0 that matchup. I played terribly as well in that matchup, and I mentioned to Rowan multiple times like after each game where I could have done better, and he was like, yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> you could have done this, and that would have been so scary. And I'm like, yeah. But I was bailed out by Rowan not having like an amazing setup either, so I won against Rowan. And I lost to Fusion Mew round 12, and I also misplayed that. Like I mentioned before, I was playing absolutely terribly day two after playing, I think, one of the best tournaments of my life day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, round 12 against Fusion Mew, I had lost game one, and, and game two, I misplaced my Greninja damage, where I was trying to play around Collapse, but I really should have been playing around Boss instead, because they didn't play Collapsed. So I went 0-2 when I could have won one and tied. Mm-hmm. But yeah, round 13, I got lucky. I hit United Wings, and I was able to beat that even after getting donked, which ended up putting me at 12-1, and which locked me in for top eight. I think there is a parallel universe where I could have played a little bit better in round 12 to tie nate with fusion mew and then maybe i could have tied i could have id'd with alex to like put them in a better position to go into top eight themselves to try and set up the bracket for me that would have been ideal or just like hit alex like round 15 round 16 or something like that to be able to scoop them in mm-hmm. unfortunately that wasn't the case um so i i i won against alex Shemansky, put, putting me at 12 and 1 i tied against katron and then i scooped to ian rob to try and set up the bracket oh no uh because of yeah yeah some things <laughs> happened there was a dq okay. in top eight and so that did yes. change the bracket quite okay, a bit so for you actually yeah you please go do it <laughs> um after i i scooped i conceded to ian rob because i was hoping that would put ian at first and me at second which would basically mean i dodged ian rob until finals and i think because cyrus wasn't locked in for top eight yet she was on a winning in another train hopefully you can't hear it <laughs> we can't Be- because Okay, great. Because Cyrus was in on a win and in, I was less worried about about Rapid Strike Intel, and it was also pretty random. Like Cyrus could have been eighth, for example, so it didn't really matter. The only thing that I wanted to do was dodge Ian until at least top four, if not finals, because I think the Ardura matchup with multiple Lost City is pretty annoying. It's not like unwinnable or like terrible or by any means, but it was like worse than the other things that I could have hit, which were like Rowan with Guardi and Cal Connor with Guardi. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have rather hit those. So I, I wanted to scoop Ian to be first and me to second. The plan didn't go exactly that way because I ended up getting third before the DQ. And, but it set me up perfectly to hit Rowan in top eight. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I was when I saw the matchup, I was like, man, I'm a genius. Also, I, <laughs> I got help um, from Isaiah Bradner, just helping me decide what to do if I, if I hit Ian Rob round 15. Nice. But I was like, I made the right decision. I got help and... and we did it. I'm a genius. And then the DQ happened. Second seed got DQ'd, which is a whole another story in and of itself, which I, I guess we won't get into at this time. But the, the decision from the staff was to shift everyone up to that second seed position and pull in nine for the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. And that changed the matchups entirely, where instead of playing against Rowan in top eight, I hit Cyrus. And I think that matchup, like I was mentioning, 40-60, it's winnable, but not the matchup I'd like to see because against my previous matchup against Rowan against Guardi, I think I'm slightly favored. I'm like 55-45 probably, maybe even 60-40. Yeah, so Guardi matchup feels was pretty not... good with the deck. Like I yes. think that's got to be the best matchup in the room. That's a real deck, right? If you're not counting United Wings. Then I, yeah. I'm not counting United Wings. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, United Wings believers, but that's... 
<laughs> it's not a real deck. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, so we're not counting United Wings. I think Guardi is, is the best matchup for Turbo Lost Fox. And I was pretty sad to, to face it, but I was like, hey, I, I 2 would Cyrus before. I can do it again. And unfortunately for me, in my top eight top eight match, my luck streak of getting lucky, getting the draws that I needed, my opponent um, misplaying, and so on and so forth, all that ran out. And I drew pretty poorly into Cyrus. Game one, they started Remoraid and active, no Remoraid on bench, just like to Intel Urshi. So all I had to do was hit Cram turn one. And I, I didn't get there. I didn't hit Cram, even after a Colrus, and starting fleet-footed. Um, and game two, I just wasn't able to Greninja turn two, which means Cyrus got to evolve or Remoraid into Auxiliary, and that was definitely a problem. And yeah, it was pretty much over from there. So that was where my top eight run finished, which, like I mentioned on Twitter, was a, was a bittersweet way to end a 12-1 run or 11-0 start in general. Mm-hmm. But still super happy that I was able to at least get a good finish in by the end of the season. Yeah, you absolutely killed it. And this season, you qualified for Worlds by, I think you almost had two invites, right? <laughs> yeah, so I had 370 before NAIC and I get 250, which, you know, over-qualifies me for Worlds. But also, I think locks me in top 16 LAIC stipend, which is fun. Let's go. Are you going to make the day two run for next year? I think that depends entirely on... If I do well at the open slash LAIC, I'll probably go to LAIC if I have the stipend. So it'll it'll do it'll be based off those. Plus, um, I think the dream is still to be a caster though. So if if I if I become a caster, then maybe I won't go for day two. But if if I guess next year will be a success if I'm either top sixteen slash day two or a caster. Either of those would be a massive success for me in in my opinion. TPCI employees, if you're listening, slide in Victor's DMs. I can <laughs> I can vouch that they are a very good caster from the tabletop village streams that I watched. And you don't have to listen to me at all. Just check out the tapes, right? <laughs> Which we'll have very shortly for Cardboard Clash as well. Yes, I will definitely be highlighting those from Cardboard Clash. And I and I have yet to highlight or clip my tabletop village ones because I've been so busy, but that is that is going to be up on my YouTube slash Twitter soon. So definitely keep an eye out for that. So if people do want more from you, where can they find you? What is that Twitter and what is that YouTube? Yeah, Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is underscore underscore I-T-V-I-C. And that is where I post most of my stuff. I also have a YouTube channel. It's Victor PKMN. I haven't posted to it in a while, but I will be having more highlights. But there are some interesting content there, both speedrunning content and Pokemon TCG content, edited content. So feel free to check that out. And I'll be posting more content there soon. But definitely follow me on Twitter first and foremost, because I'll, I'll be posting there as well. And be sure to check out the Cardboard Clash, which will be twitch.tv slash etchy, E-T-C-H-Y. Yes. Yes, correct. Perfect. So be sure to check that one out again, because your boy did one of the deck profiles. And if you want to hear me, mostly just read what Ampharos EX does and <laughs> then talk about it for much too long, just like my normal YouTube. Be sure to check that one out. Uh, and you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. Be sure to rate and review the show as always. Most importantly, share it with a friend. The new season starts i mean a couple days ago actually so the new season starts for the 2024 world championship so when you sit down to your round one opponent just be like hey have you heard of the lake of rage podcast and thank you to everyone when i sat down at naic who's like wait i know your voice are you the dude from lake of rage <laughs> i appreciate all of you like a lot a lot 
This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.